Welcome back to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. And once again, we have Neil Creswell of Portainer, who is now, this. how many times have you been on now? This is your second or? Second. Okay, well, it's gonna have to be a lot more because I always enjoy having you on here. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I'm up for it. Yeah, <laughs> you always are. And that's why, you know, it's like uh, to you, I, I just had like an instant kinship the, the, the moment we met. So, you know, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you're an easy person to get along with. It's, definitely. <laughs> it's definitely the, the key we saw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so so it's been a while. It's probably been a year and a half, maybe more mm -hmm. that since since I last saw you. You know, what's going on in the world of, um, you know, uh, Kubernetes and, you know, I, you, you were originally Docker, but, but that's not the case anymore. And, and I, I don't know if everybody knows that. So I want to, you know, talk a little bit about that, too. But what's going on in, in, in your world? It's actually really interesting. We, we're noticing the shift of Kubernetes now from what was early adopter into the, now the, the mainstream. Yeah. And we see that in our, our community Slack channels. And we see it through the questions people are asking. And so historically, and I would say even six months ago, the people who were, who were adopting Kubernetes were really far more advanced. They were, they were quite senior engineering people and they really, really knew what they were doing. There seems to have been a shift into the more of the mainstream now. Mm -hmm. And the questions are being asked by people who have really no, no fundamental knowledge of Kubernetes. They know containers, but they don't know Kubernetes. And they're really struggling to understand the Kubernetes concepts. Or they're struggling to understand how they deploy their applications in Kubernetes. And it's, it's really been a, a paradigm shift. And to me, that signifies the start of mainstream adoption, yeah, true mainstream adoption. When, and it's everywhere. And being here at KubeCon and speaking to people, there's some smaller organizations, some very large organizations. They're still very early in, in their, their adoption. So it truly is now. More, you know, more mainstream adoption of Kubernetes, and, that, and that's cool because that's that's who we built Portana for anyway. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that's an interesting thing because you always have to walk this kind of fine line because you want to create a interface, and we had this conversation before, like like, like yesterday. But you want to create this interface that caters to people that are new to to it, so that's not as daunting. I've been having conversations all week about how Kubernetes, you know, could be daunting if, if you take it all in at once. And if mm -hmm. you think about all these things like service meshes and logging and security and Helm oper you know, and operators and Helm charts and all these different things that you think about, if you were just to look at that and not take it bit by bit, it could be really, really daunting. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to answer that in, an, in a way that's easy for people to kind of onboard. And that's kind of what you guys are doing, but then you also have to as people get along that journey and you have those stages, you need to also answer as they get more advanced, they're going to want more advanced features too. So I, I, I love what you guys are doing, but it's also a really tough place to be in too. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the memes where you've got, there's like a, a dude about to jump into the lake, right? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's a shallow lake. And he jumps into the lake and it, it's a meme on Kubernetes complexity and the lake is bottomless. Yeah. And it starts out. You know, it, it's it's a simple stateless deployment, and then it's like, okay, now I've got stateful sets, and now I've got this, and and then you there's a, there's another uh, meme infographic which is an iceberg, and the tip of the iceberg is basic Kubernetes, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's like, oh my goodness, this thing's huge. So, for for a lot of people who are just getting started, they're like, oh, on the surface, my uh, Google foo was awesome. I can figure out what I'm doing. Mm, you can, but you do so in a relatively dangerous way. 
you, know, yeah. you can actually Google your way through Kubernetes and you can get your applications running. But most people don't know Kubernetes by default is not overly secure. Yes. You have to secure it. And so you might get your application running, but you're exposing yourself to compromise because it's not, it's not running in a secure, compliant way. And that, that's the real challenge. And so how, how do we as Bortana provide an environment that is easy enough for people to get started, but get started in a safe way? And that, that's been our, our challenge now for a while. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we be this force multiplier for the person in the organization who wants to deploy Kubernetes, but wants to make Kubernetes available to their entire organization who may not have the depth of skills to do it properly? How, how do we bridge that knowledge gap? And that's, that's really our sweet spot. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, coming from a company like Cisco and, and talking to enterprises, you would just assume that everybody just knows this stuff. Mm, no. And, but that's not really the case. I mean, there's, everybody's on different journeys. Everybody's on different paths. It's not good or bad. It's just where they are. And you kind of have to answer for those different levels, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's nice to have something that kind of introduces you and nudges you in that direction when you're first starting out. It's not as scary, it's not this scary ecosystem, you know, so it makes it, it, makes it a lot uh, easier for these companies to start to adopt these things that, that are a little bit foreign to them. Yeah, like one of the other things is, you know, the reason, reason why DevOps came about, right, was because we had really rigid policies in traditional IT ops and how you deployed or how you got your applications into production. You know, you, you had to go through a, a service ticket, the VM got provisioned, it got put on the right VLAN, it got secured and patched and everything else. And it was, it was a really slow, rigid process. And so we kind of bounced to DevOps where it's devs have complete control and freedom and it's, it's, it's hyper fast and they can get what they want instantaneously. And through that process, we kind of forgot about security, governance, compliance. Oh, and then, oh just that? Just, just that, and, and, and that, that's why you're now seeing DevSecOps come about, yes. right? And it's really interesting because I, I, there was a report I saw, I think it's from Docker, but it might not be, where they pulled a report on images on Docker Hub that were hostile. And hackers have got smart, and they're, they're finding the most common spelling mistakes of common images, like MySQL or Nginx or others, and people often spell it wrong. And ordinarily, if you try and pull an image that's spelled wrong, it'll fail. But the hackers are getting smart and they're actually publishing images with the incorrect spelling that actually spin up the real container, like uh, Nginx or something else, but actually injects a compromise that's trying to attack Kubernetes. And so they are, they're working on the principle that, that the whole DevOps thing and people are spinning up environments that they don't know what they're doing and they're gonna launch through simple human error, they're gonna launch applications that have spelling mistakes that'll compromise a Kubernetes cluster. And that's why this, this whole DevSecOps thing is really important. And if you can't do that, if you are true DevOps, how you have a platform that's safe and secure from the get-go? Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge thing right now. I mean, when you, when you look at the industry, um, one of the biggest things right now, just walking around KubeCon, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things you see is all these DevSecOps companies yep. popping up because, and I think you stated it correctly, is that you know, for for a while now, this was all brand new. It was just about getting the application up and running, getting it distributed, doing all the orchestration and kind of gluing in some of that stuff afterwards, mm -hmm. if you can, mm -hmm. you know, um, but, but really it was about getting the application out the door as fast as possible. Yep. And, um, 
Yeah, and and now what people are doing is saying, hey, yeah, we're we're seeing a lot of this, and you're seeing a lot of companies that are doing policy-based management of security and doing hashing of the of of the different, um, you know, uh, different uh, images and things like that, and and. Um, so there's so much around that. It's, I mean, it's, it's really almost a new marketplace, you know, because there's just so much around it. Yeah, but that, that's, that's further increasing complexity. Yeah. Because now not only are you deploying Kubernetes, but now you need to have all of these tools around it to do Kubernetes properly. And again, back to Portana, we want to be that one tool that you just need to use. Yeah. Because if, if, you have to, if you have to have a whole range of tools to properly manage your platform, yeah. well, that, all those tools need to be installed and updated and maintained and everything else and people need to know how to use those tools as well that can be quite overwhelming so yeah. you're, you're now you're now creating quite a quite a, a perfect storm of complexity and cost to manage or you can just put something like portainer in which gives you all of that functionality in the one product and that again is is how how do you how do you get something safe and secure in a really simple way that's simple to maintain easy to use operationally efficient how do you do that yeah, so so it's it sounds like what what you guys are focusing on is more on the you know the that dev uh, pipeline now too. So you're you're somewhat in that in that area too. Is it more on the CD side or or more on the you know? Well, we we're in the the force enabler yeah game, right? So inside every organization there is an expert. Yeah. there has to be an expert. You can't you can't you can't genuinely cannot go you cannot embrace containers without having at least one expert in your organization. Sure. Now they might be contracted, but that one person can serve X number of non-experts, yeah. right? And that might be devs, might be whatever else. So it's people who need to get needs of five. How do you make that one person go from supporting five or 10 people to supporting 30 or 40 people? Mm. How do you do that? Yeah. Because though that, that expert is horrendously expensive, they're massively in demand, they're likely to be poached by someone <laughs> with, with, with a far deeper pocket. So how do you make them more efficient so, so that you can really focus all your efforts in maintaining and training that one person? And that, that's what we're focused on. And we do that through pushing CD, so, so GitOps, to the developer, so the developer can actually configure their own uh, GitOps pipelines okay. in their own context. Yeah. There's, no, there's no need for complicated tools, you know, like GitOps tools. You can just use Portainers Native. We've got, the, you know, the expert can configure quotas and policies and restrictions and controls. And now, now enabling the dev to self-serve, but, but within boundaries. So that, that's the kind of thing, it's like, how, how do we make the expert you know, substantially more efficient so they can deliver you know, far more value to their business by having more non-experts using the platform? I like how, that, how you're thinking out the, the process around it, because, and, and this has been a common conversation we've had you know, in the last few days too, is that you know, too many people in tech are thinking about just the tech mm -hmm. and not how the tech should be used in terms of you know what is what is the, the solution what is the problem we're trying to solve yep and i like that you're the way that you're phrasing it because because what you're doing is you're saying here is the problem here you know here, and here's what we're trying to do this is this is the statement we're trying to solve we're trying yep. to figure out that you know enable that user and i like how you put enablement and um, you know in order to to be able to self serve more and to, and to focus on that so that's solving a real issue. You know, I think too many, too many products out there, or, or even solutions, not even products, really, you know, around Kubernetes are just like, this is really cool, and this will do this, this, and this, and it's a really cool techie function, but what is the business value to that, you yeah. know? 
Yeah, it, it, it's tech for tech's sake. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, there's the old joke, a, a solution looking for a problem. Yes. Now, you know, <laughs> Kubernetes has, has a bunch of problems, you know, or as I like to call them, opportunities. Yes. Because, because it, you know, it, they, they need addressing. You, can't, you genuinely can't go into, into production without, without addressing all of these, these uniquenesses around Kubernetes. You just can't. You, know, yeah. you, you have to have tools to observe, alert, manage, govern, secure. You have to. You have to do it. Yeah. Like it or not, you have no choice. Now, of course, you can't, and you get in trouble later, but you yeah. have to do it. So how, how do we do that in the most efficient way that is the least intrusive for operational complexity, operational cost? You, you, what, what you can't have is, is a huge amount of your IT capital cost or operational cost being spent just managing a platform. The platform should be irrelevant. It should be safe and secure, but it should be irrelevant. Yeah, so it's almost, it's almost like the platform itself should be easy to use and transparent, kind totally. of, in the, in the process. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and in a way, that's what's that, that's the dream of serverless. You know, serverless yeah. says, give, give me your apps and we'll run it. Yeah. But, you know, serverless has its its complications, considerations as well. That's why people are still embracing Kubernetes. It gives them ultimate flexibility. But how do you how do you give a serverless-like experience, you know, simplicity experience, without compromising on Kubernetes awesomeness? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's so much to that, and 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 I really believe that there are different solutions for different people and different mm -hmm. problems and different things like that. I mean, I think serverless serves some needs. Serverless serves, okay. <laughs> serverless serves some needs. Um, uh, FAS serves some needs. Mm -hmm. Eventing by itself serves some needs. You know, and and I think it just depends on what's right for that particular opportunity or in that particular project mm -hmm. or that particular thing. What's what's really confusing to some people though is that there's so many of these things, and which one do you choose? You know, do you choose FAS? Do you choose eventing? Do you choose serverless? Now there's even micro VMs. You know, so there's mm -hmm. so many of these new things, and and the tech industry. I love it. You know, I, I'm I'm a technologist, and I love all this stuff, but it also adds a bit of confusion to the end user too. Like mm -hmm. where where is the right place to use these things? You know. Well, sim simply walk the halls here, right? There's yeah. two huge halls, there's yeah. hundreds of people, yeah. and I, I would say if, if, if you had to group them, those, those, I don't know, maybe there's two, three hundred people here exhibiting, if you had to, that they're probably six or seven groups of tools, so there, are, there is a lot to choose from, yes. and how, 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 does, how does an organization know what, what's the right choice? Yeah. It, it's a hard one, and again, that, back to our, our ethos is, you don't need to choose, we're, we're just one tool that does everything. Now, yeah. for, for most people, the one tool is, is good enough for 95% of your use cases. And occasionally you might need to have an, a best of breed piece of tech, but you do that when you know you have a real problem, not upfront. Yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we've, we've gone, we go back and forth between having everything in all different pieces and then having everything in one app and then having everything in pieces and then everything in one. But I think the dream these days is things are getting more and more simplified. We want that simplified view. There's things like Grafana, there's things, you know, that, that give you these kinds of, um, you know, simplified views. And, you know, FSO is, is the buzzword, you know, I, and I'm gonna be the first to say it, you know, I don't think anyone has truly done full stack observability. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a great word. It's, it's something to strive to, but nobody's really done it. People have come close, but you know, the fact is you want to be able to have, I, and, and when, I, when I think about it, I want this one platform that stores all my data. I can just throw everything at it. And then I can, I can get the pieces I want. I can alert on certain things. I can view the things I want. I can make decisions on the things I want. You know, because really what you want is you want a single dashboard to mm -hmm. be able to 
say, hey, am I doing this stuff right? I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's really down to that. Is, is the, are things optimized? Is it, is it working right? Is everything functional? Can I deploy easily? Yeah, but it, it's more than that, though. It's more than yeah. that. Like, if, even if you take something like Grafana. Now, yeah. Grafana and Prometheus. Yeah. Yep. Prometheus is amazing at scraping data and, and yep. holding data, right? Grafana is, is a great way to visualize that data set. Yep. What Grafana doesn't do is give you an SRE yep. in the software. So it, it gives a human being a wall of data. That human being needs to say, okay, well, X, Y, and Z has triggered. To me, that means a, I've, yep. I have to do something. Yeah. And I, I still don't think that's good enough. Yeah. And so I agree. We, we, we still need a mechanism to say the system has, has found these defects. The system now determines that you need to take action A and then alert you, this has happened, we need you to go do that if the system cannot go do something itself to take corrective action. And so Grafana is, and, and Prometheus, they're just, they're just the start. Yeah. They're, they're just a tool that still need to be enabled by something even higher order again. And that's what we're working on next, is how do we, how do we take feeds from Prometheus and Grafana and make them more actionable so you know what to do and why. Yeah, and that's what you, and, and honestly, you see a lot of tech startups right now. Like if you walk around, there's tech startups that are like, you know, uh, we're going to optimize Kubernetes, or mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, use AI to figure out and troubleshoot, or we're going to use. So once you have all that data, and once you know that, then you could do something with it, mm -hmm. and you can make those decisions, Correct. and you can you can make it easier. And and really, at the end of the day, I think people want that ease these days. They don't want to have to worry about. It. And that really came about, I think, when service provider, not sorry, um, um, cloud providers came around, mm -hmm. because cloud providers made it so easy that you could just say. Hey, I just want everything as a service. You know, mm -hmm. I'm Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Developer, and I just want to, I, I want to create my app as fast as possible. I want to spin up a database. I want to consume that, uh, you know, uh, that service or, or whatever it might be that that I want to do. And and now people are so used to that, they want that also on the on-prem experience, well, and, and multi-cloud. If, if if you think back a few years, right? Yeah. So when when everyone was using VPS servers, right? Yeah. What was the tool of choice? cPanel, right? cPanel. Yeah. Everybody, so cPanel and Plesk. Yep. Everyone knew those tools, and those tools were amazing. <laughs> Devs could log into cPanel and say, I want a database, I want a PHP service, I want this. That was an amazing experience. And we went from there to containers, to Docker, to microservices, and rather than installing things, you now run things, right? But still, the, that, that cPanel type experience was an amazingly beautiful experience. It was so damn simple. Yep. How do we, how do we get that kind of experience with containers with Kubernetes. That, that, that's, that's what we should be striving for. That, yeah. was, that was incredibly simple to use. Any dev from anywhere in the world could log into that type of tooling and deploy their application. It, it didn't require months of training, didn't require certification. You could spin up a cPanel and some people knew what they were doing. They, yeah. they could figure their way out. We need that experience for Kubernetes, for it to get massive mainstream adoption. Yeah, and, and I don't want to confuse ease of use with uh, consumption method because I think that you can have a graphical interface and that could be one way to make something easy, mm -hmm. but you can also do stuff within code and GitOps that still has that same information, still has that same kind of stuff, Agree. but but you you want to be able to, you know, uh, you just have a different style of wanting to interact with whatever mechanism that is. As long as you have a way to create the code, yeah. because if, if you have to be an absolute ninja to yeah. create no, the you code. Don't, you don't want to be able to do that. Yeah, so, you don't want to have to do that. So there, there really needs to be a way to say, how, how do I actually through a really simple way, how do I set up my, my pipelines, and then yeah. the pipelines can go to work. But yep. if, if you have to have an expert set of the pipelines, you're kind of negating it. Yeah, I agree with that. I totally yeah. agree with that. So um, so what, what else is, I mean, it's been a while, so what else is new in the world of Pertainer? 
uh, support <laughs> for Nomad was one thing. So okay. we added support for Nomad just recently. Yeah, we, we're seeing pretty uh, explosive growth in the IIoT space. So a lot of people are now automating their factory floors. So manufacturing production lines are now switching from SCADA type systems to IIoT. Yeah. Uh, as IIoT hardware has become more powerful, people are no longer installing their shop floor management binaries on the device. They're now shipping them as containers. Yeah. And so now how do you manage not just 5, 10, 20, 100, 500 Kubernetes clusters or Docker, Docker hosts, how do you manage 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, yeah. 200,000 Docker hosts and the containers running upon it? That is a monumentally higher level of complexity. How do you say, I want to run this application and I want to roll this out to 10,000 know, Docker hosts? Yeah. Because almost all of these are Docker, by the way, but how do you roll it out? Go. How do you do that? And that, that is a far, far higher level of, of complexity. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Kube at the edge, not, not at the IIoT level, not yet. It's still too heavy. So, so for, my, for my listeners and viewers out there, explain IIoT in two seconds, just so that, you know, because maybe they don't know that acronym. So, Industrial uh, IoT. <laughs> yeah. Uh, generally, it is the people from an OT perspective, operational technology. You know, yeah. there's IT, information technology, and OT, operational technology. Yeah. In OT, generally, it's the the way I describe OT is it's the plane's flight control systems. Yeah. IT is the plane's in-flight entertainment. One of which you'll die if you get wrong. <laughs> one of which you can't watch can't watch your video for the the, the, the six-hour flight. Yeah. You know, they're, they're they're vastly different. OT except 100% uptime and nothing nothing but 100% uptime. Yeah. So that that's that's a very very different paradigm. I used to I used to work for uh, companies that did uh, DCS distributed control systems. Mm -hmm. And they were mixing chemicals. So if they mixed the chemicals wrong and you were able to go from the corporate network over to there, that's not just a, a hack. That could potentially be catastrophic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. And so, so that, that whole thing, though, and, you know, SCADA is, is well and truly mm -hmm. controlled and secured and proprietary, and, and, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's, quite, it's quite expensive and quite hard to, to scale. And that, that's why, that's why there's, there's this embrace of IoT paradigms in an industrial or controlled yeah, context. But again, how do you do that safely and securely? And yeah. we, we're seeing a huge, huge direction there. Um, again, because Kubernetes is still a little big, a lot of these are Docker. But if you want to want to have a cluster, people are starting to look at Nomad, and so that's why we added support for Nomad. So that's really cool. And um, you know, I ask a lot of people this. So, so what do you see, in, or or do you see a common, or not not common, but you know, maybe a more typical use case that people are using Pertainer for? So. Our, our ideal customer is someone who is going from a more legacy environment and migrating into containers uh, because they're being forced to. Yeah. So either either they are buying a new core business application and their ISV only ships that as containers. So And they're like, okay, we, we need this new application. We don't have any experience or exposure to this. How do we transition our skills? So we're useful there. Uh, we're also really useful where people are saying we, we need to migrate our monolith to microservices so we can modernize it and you know, do a mm -hmm. replatform. Again, we don't have the skills and capabilities we need for Tainer to bridge the gap. Where, where we're not so so well aligned is in true cloud native companies. So where people are you know from day one containers, that's not necessarily our sweet spot. That's not yeah. why we built it. We yeah. built it as this enabler for people who are, who are on a journey from something old to a more modern workforce and they want to get started with that technology today, with the skills that their people have today. Yeah. They don't want to wait six, nine, 12 months while their people retool, retrain. 
Yeah, and by and by the way, the the job market right now is crazy. I mean, it's almost Insane. it's it's the it's really up to the person that's wants the job mm-hmm. to really decide because the, it's not the companies anymore. It's hard to get good people. Not not only that, they they, <laughs> they are basically stipulating their salaries. Yes. So if, again, back to the force multiplier. Yeah. That, that that one person who's costing, in all honesty, the salary of two, you need to make them do the work of two. Yeah. Now you can't you can't make people work eighty hours a week. So you you need to have tooling to make them look like they work 80 hours a week, you know, yeah. make, make them super efficient. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So I asked this question since we're at KubeCon and, um, you know, there's there's lots of stuff out there. You've, you, you know, you probably known them some, some stuff coming into this and there's, you know, you walked around probably a little bit already. What's exciting to you? What's exciting here? Anything that's that's that you were like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I think <laughs> the, the biggest thing for me is just how many companies are now embracing Kubernetes. And, yeah. and again, for tech to go through the life cycle from early adopter into mainstream, you have to have this whole range of capability. You know, I, I, I was a CIO. I understand what it takes to, to run and manage environments you know, in, in, in production. You've got to have all of the security and governance and compliance. If there's no tools for you to, to tick boxes and say, yep, well, this thing is safe and secure, you really are looking at this tech and saying, mm, it's half finished. Yeah. Now, looking walking around the floor, there is pretty much every need addressed by a product somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 is, it is now totally suitable to be used you know, by mainstream because you can, you can do things right now. You can do things right. There's that. And really just the, just the speed at which products are coming to market. It's insane. It's yeah. just, you know, compared to KubeCon in North America, which was not even six months ago, that there's so many new vendors on, on the floor now. This yeah, but I also, you know, I was thinking about that today. When you see these new vendors, most of them aren't U.S. vendors. Most of them no. are from everywhere else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, how global this has become, you know. And I think that, you know, maybe in the U.S., I don't know, I don't know who came to the U.S. because actually I didn't go to that one. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how global this has gotten. And I love that. I love that about it. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's because... And, and you need to be quite careful because in the, in the US, there, there is a it's a very cloud native ecosystem, right? There's there's a lot of cool new startups that are that are that are cloud native, or they can afford to invest, especially in California, invest in highly highly paid engineers to do amazing things. Yeah. When you're in emerging markets, you don't have that same luxury, and so emerging markets need to need to do so much more with so much less, and that that's burns innovation. That, yeah. That's that's why in New Zealand we have this. This thing called the uh, number eight fencing wire approach, which is a, it's a piece of wire can fix anything, and w- and it, it it leads to innovation. If, if you don't have much, if you if you can't walk down to the store and buy seventeen things to fix something, then you need to have one thing to fix seventeen things, and it's the same kind of innovation. So that's why you're seeing these tools, yeah, spring up because they're springing up from these emerging markets where they can't afford experts and have to find ways to solve problems. That's why. Yeah, and also what, what you what you see too is that, and and this has been a similar theme too, is that, you know, the reason why these products come about is because there's a need. Somebody has banged their head against the mm-hmm. wall fifty thousand times and like get frustrated enough, yeah. and they're like, I'm going to create a product around this because if it's me, then if I see it, then some other somebody else is having the same problem. Yeah, very few of these, I, th- I think, uh, are solutions looking for problems. I, yeah. I, think, I think a lot of these people are like, oh my goodness, why is this so hard? It's got to be an easy way. <laughs> gotta I'm, I'm going to make a product to do this. And I actually used you as an example. I had an interview with Alex Ellis right before this. And I said, you know, the greatest story that I have is from, from that, is, is, is from you. I remember last time you telling me that 
Pertainer came out of your frustration mm. of, of using Docker when it first came out. Yeah, that, 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 whole, that whole six months of migraines trying to learn the tech and like, this thing is amazing, it's a game changer, but why is it so difficult? Surely we can make this easier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Pertainer is still open source, right? There's still an open source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I think is, is amazing about that, you know, and it does so much for that. Yeah, we, we, we now have got three versions. We've got the open source version, we've got a freemium version and the full paid version. That's so and cool. the freemium version is just, it's, you get five nodes free forever. Oh, awesome. So that's, pretty, that's so cool. Pretty easy to use. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again. And we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back again. I sure we, hope we, so. We, we always love having you. And, um, you know, it's been great. So thank well, you. Appreciate it. All right.